0: Hello from Education International in Brussels. This is Ed Voices, a podcast of global education news and advocacy. EI is more than 400 teacher and educator unions and professional associations in 173 countries, representing 32 million members. Here's your host.
1: Hi, it's Martin Henry here, Research Coordinator at Education International, and I'm gonna be talking today to Manos Antoninis, who is the director of the Global Education Monitoring Report, an independent report funded by UNESCO. And we also, in conversation earlier, discovered that Manos is an economist and has a background in a number of ways of working around the educational frame. We've just had a presentation from Manos at the executive board, which looked particularly at accountability. I was fascinated by your presentation and also the fact that the report has been so clear at framing teachers at the heart of teaching, which for us is a very important issue. I'd like to start with the issue of class size because you raised the question in your previous um, talk that regulations around class size are non-existent in many parts of the world. For many teachers it's a crucial issue. Can you just take us through the statistics and what you discovered as you put that information together?
0: Uh, That's an interesting question, Martin. It is uh, often that we talk about education statistics but it is surprising how little we know about some of the uh, important fundamental aspects of education systems. There is very little information, in fact, on regulations. The reports carried its own investigation, trying to go country by country, and we managed to uh, collect information from about 70 countries on their different rules and regulations. And that particular statistic that half of countries that we surveyed did not have uh, any regulation on class size was quite surprising. It is perhaps indicative of the attention that this issue uh, has and receives in different parts of the world. Uh, There's no doubt that uh, more uh, closer monitoring based on some rules would help reduce class sizes and make uh, teaching processes much more efficient.
1: Well, I can tell you that at Education International, we're sick of the academics who say class size doesn't matter because as we know, we are talking about class sizes in excess of 100 in many countries, where the ability to actually shape an individual student learning program is impossible given the numbers. So it's great that you've surfaced this information. I think as well, in the discussion we've just had about accountability, You are looking in a very nuanced and balanced way around this issue. Can you just tell us how you went about putting together your data sets, where you selected them from, and what led you down the road towards the accountability frame that you've developed?
0: First of all, we should say that uh, the report every year has a theme, a specific theme, that uh, we decide jointly with our International Advisory Board. And the choice of accountability Uh, seemed almost natural at the time. Uh, We report every year particular problems, several problems, across all levels of education, across different groups of countries. And it's natural when uh, such problems are being reported for citizens to ask who is responsible, and governments increasingly turn to the idea that oh, what uh, we really need is a stronger accountability system. Now, accountability is a concept that has come into government from the corporate world, uh, from financing, from accounting, uh, from performance, and uh, it doesn't necessarily sit very easily into education. And why is that? The the report takes as a principle that education is a shared responsibility, but accountability rests on the idea that you can actually pinpoint responsibility uh, with individuals with particular institutions. However, we know that most of the things that we strive for and we aim for and we desire for as education outcomes are not just the results of one person's actions. They are the result of uh, activities by several people, by different institutions at different levels. For example, you may want uh, to ensure an appropriate learning environment, but that is not just the responsibility of the school. It's the responsibility of government for providing the resources. It's the responsibility of the teachers for uh, being uh, um, appropriate, behaving appropriately in the classroom and ensuring that all students are respected. It's the responsibility of the students as well uh, for ensuring that uh, they don't disrupt the education process for their peers and their fellows. So, when it comes to accountability, it is very important uh, to remember that we cannot hold people to account for results that are beyond their control. They may be contributing to them but to hold them singularly accountable for that result is the wrong way to go. That's why it's very important for uh, these processes to be based on trust and an understanding of the different inputs everybody is bringing to the education process. So, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's an issue of uh, data analysis. It's an issue of analyzing the principles, uh, the assumptions of what would take us to a better education process that would uh, achieve the results that we all want.
1: Okay, this connects very powerfully for the discussion that we've had on professional standards this morning and also I'm very impressed by your educational philosophy in approaching the new public management theory, which is what you're talking about around accountability, with some scepticism because we certainly do too. Um, I must say that in your selection of themes, you've been able to highlight things which have caused the biggest issues for the most people, and you are going on to look at migration in your next report. We're interested particularly in refugees and refugee students, and how that has impacted on teachers around the world, and have been doing a number of pieces of work in this area. Can you talk about what you're expecting to find in terms of the huge movements of people we've got around the planet, many of whom are young, and what sort of things you're going to be looking for in that area?
0: Uh, The report always tries to give the broadest picture possible on all the issues it approaches. Uh, Just as in the case of accountability, we uh, look at the responsibilities not just of governments, even though the governments have the ultimate responsibility because they are the bearers of the right to education, but we also looked at the responsibilities of schools, of teachers, of parents, of students, of the private sector or let's say also even the international organizations. Even in the case of our migration uh, reports, migration and displacement report which uh, we intend to publish towards the end of this year, we're looking at all possible types of movement. In fact sometimes not only movements of people but even movements of institutions themselves, because education institutions also move these days and curricula move and textbooks move. But uh, just looking at the the people, the case of uh, people who move, we look at uh, internal migration. Uh, For example, we will be covering uh, the massive internal migration in China, which uh, is supposed to have been the, the largest human migration at such a scale, let's say, in such a short time in the history of the world. But we will also be looking at uh, international migration, uh, as we commonly assume it, of people who uh, move to different countries for a better future, but then they move to different country and they themselves and their children uh, encounter different conditions in the country they go and therefore need particular supports to be able to flourish and benefit from the education system. And, and no, of course, well, I'm going to jump
1: in there. How has education helped or hindered, but we're particularly interested in how it's helped? to provide an environment that is inclusive and receptive to people on the move.
0: Well, exactly, that's what we will be doing. In the report, we will not only be looking at the effects of these movements on people and on the education systems, but we will also look at the opposite effect. What education systems can do, especially their curricula, uh, the learning materials, the teachers through their education, what they can do to help uh, societies um, improve the way they deal with uh, the influx of uh, people from other parts of the world. And that's a really critical role because, and that's what at the end of the day what unites uh, the the theme of the report. Even though we're talking about very different movements of population, at the end of the day it boils down to what's happening in the classroom. How teachers can actually be respectful of the diversity, how they can see the differences between students and help different students help them coexist, help those who are lagging behind and have particular struggles to uh, catch up, help the integration and uh, therefore create a new generation of people that are more tolerant they're more open to diversity they're more open to differences and therefore help build different attitudes than what we sometimes see in countries around the world today.
1: Okay and there seems to us to be a, a huge embracing of the inclusion agenda and understanding that the support for teachers within that is critical. So being able to understand second language pedagogy, being able to deliver culturally reflexive frameworks that accept the students in the classroom is something our teachers want. The support that governments offer is not always there and that's where we get to the economics question. When a government's going to start putting their money where their mouths are and start supporting education in the classroom so that it can deal with the issues that you've talked about?
0: Financing of education is of course an extremely important uh, part of the picture. Some governments do better than others. The report in its monitoring uh, role uses data from all over the world to demonstrate which countries actually are not doing that well. And we find, for example, in the last report that one in four countries spent below both thresholds that have been, uh, minimum thresholds have been uh, developed by the international community to uh, ensure that our ambitious goals are met. But uh, year after year, we also draw attention to the following issue. We tend to think of financing uh, that comes from governments, either governments at home or aid, uh, so when governments fund uh, those governments of poor countries. But in many parts of the world, it is actually, uh, the cost of education is very unfairly shared uh, within societies. Because in many particularly poorer countries, households spend out of their pockets, either because the, the tax system is not working, so uh, it's not functioning as a result, those who generate the most uh, profits are not being taxed properly to feed this um, financing back into the system, or because there are other forms, uh, often corrupt forms uh, of of delivering education that end up being at the expense of the most vulnerable and the poorest.
1: Such as privatised schools, we've had a discussion about that today and I've really appreciated your openness to the way that you've worked with data and um, I'd just like us to round up now on the idea of what you think data, given that we often have a conversation at the transnational level, that overuse of data or standardization of data or, or using data in order to fit everybody into the same space is problematic. How do we protect against that? Because I really believe that you've attempted to do that in the GEM report and have been largely successful in shaping a context and an understanding. What do you think the critical factors are? Hmm.
0: You're putting me on the spot here. I'm the director of the Global Education Monitoring Report. Uh, most of our readers expect to find in the reports information that they can generally compare between countries. Now it's important to say that some people do that with different intentions and sometimes the use of the information that is being provided uh, is not the right one. It's also true that sometimes, as you say, the standardization of some information uh, can lead us to distort some aspects of the reality. But I think it is important also to have trust in the work that we do, the work that many of our partners do, for example, the UNESCO Institute for Statistics, there is a general uh, attempt, especially through the new international education agenda, the Sustainable Development Goal 4, to introduce a monitoring framework that actually is not just there to help compare countries, but to draw attention in a formative way to issues that are really important for the world. And for many of these, uh, most of the countries individually, but formative in the sense that it draws attention to facts that an uh, aspects of education, of the delivery of education, the results of education, that many governments in many parts of the world actually choose to ignore at the expense of their citizens, uh, the citizens who should benefit from a good education service. So, yes, there are risks. One should be careful, one should be humble, one should be cautious. Um, but there are also advantages that we should not really forget.
1: Well, thanks so much for talking to us, Manos. And I can say that here at EI, we trust you to help us reduce class sizes, improve resourcing and continue to work for a better education. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: To get the latest global education news and advocacy, subscribe to Ed Voices on your favorite podcast app or anytime on SoundCloud. And as always, tell a friend, spread the word and please give us a review on iTunes. Bye for now.